0: Your creative director wants it on their desk by tomorrow. Your AE wants it by end of day. Your client wants it yesterday. You, on the other hand, just want a drink and a foot massage. Welcome to Adiac. Adiac is the official podcast of the AAF Lehigh Valley. I'm your host, Nathan Linder. Adiac is sponsored and produced by Fire Rock Productions. Our theme song is written and produced by Carlo Asera. Today we're recording uh, once again at Adams Outdoor Advertising in their beautiful conference room. Thank you to Adams Outdoor Advertising for letting us uh, record today. Our guest is a local brand strategy expert with a very impressive history of working with national brands. He began his advertising journey in the early 2000s with internships at both Young & Rubicam and McCann Erickson. After that, in 2004, he landed his first position as an account executive with Publicis New York where he worked on projects for Vicks NyQuil, DayQuil, and VapoRub. From there, in 2006, he landed an account supervisor position at BBDO in New York City, working on iconic brands like Mountain Dew and GE. Then in 2008, he made his way to the Lehigh Valley, landing a job at Spark, which is now Lehigh Mining and Navigation, as an account director, and eventually moving up the ranks to become their director of brand strategy. After almost nine years there, he made a bold move and decided to take on a fresh challenge with Clunk and Milan Advertising as their director of brand strategy. Welcome to our show, Nick Swartz. How you doing, Nick? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Um, You have an interesting start in the the ad world. You got started um, with an interest uh, in in high school through the Distributive Education Clubs of America, better known as DECA. Uh, Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that is true. So I... uh I grew up in New York and moved halfway through high school out into California. And, um, you know, upon starting there, there was a marketing class I took and I I had a professor who, who said there's this organization that you can, can be part of and and compete in. And it was called DECA. Um, and so I sort of just jumped into it and that was my first real taste of marketing and advertising. Um, and after only a couple, couple weeks in the class, the, the teacher approached me and, and, and said, you know, would you be interested in running for a, a state elected office within the organization? And I, didn't really know what I was, was getting myself into. Um, but long story short, I, I was actually elected as the uh, state vice president. Uh, for all of California, which which was a, an amazing opportunity, especially at that you know point halfway through high school, you're not really sure what you're going to do sure. after that. But uh, but it gave me you know an opportunity to to make connections and and really you know figure out what it is I wanted to do with the the rest of my life, and that that really was the catalyst. Because from there, advertising and marketing, there was there was no looking back.
0: Right. So that you got the bug there. At yeah. The, no, no doctor,
1: age. no lawyer. Just yeah, it was advertising and marketing. That's for me. awesome.
0: <laughs> it, it it's kind of cool you you really have um, international uh, international national experience not only um, from you know your professional uh, tenure which we'll, we'll get into but um, even from education standpoint because from California then you went to school at Penn State as uh, specifically, kind of my old stomping ground uh, Penn State University Altoona campus
1: yeah so I you know being in California I was always a, an East Coast guy I right. uh, wanted to go to a big school with a, with a good college football program and so uh, I came back to, to, to Penn State and I started at Altoona for two years before before transferring up to the to the main campus um, but yeah it was it was a no-brainer I mean I you know I thought about going out to the you know Long Beach State or, or somewhere out out west but I wouldn't have gotten much work done so right. uh, I wanted that collegiate experience yeah and so I came back and and, um, you know, after four years at Penn State, it was was awesome.
0: Yeah, I, lo- I love the idea of Altoona being the place where you sequester yourself so you can not have any distractions and really work. And that's a great place to do it. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> the only distractions there, I think, are, are what? Sheets, there's like a Sheets on every corner. Um, but other than that, it's a pretty quiet town. Yeah,
1: it was cool. I mean, it was a great way to make uh, a really close group of friends that, you know, when you went up to, to University Park, those were, were friends you saw. Uh, and relationships I still have to this day. That's so great. that was cool.
0: And then uh, talk to me about the National Student Ad Competition. Um, yeah, you were the president of the chapter for yeah. So, so at Penn
1: State, I mean, I think it, it sparked probably from some of the experience I had, you know, in DECA. But, uh, but I got involved with uh, the AAF National Student Advertising Competition and the Ad Club. Uh, at Penn State. And and in year one, I was able to, to present with the team. So we went up to New York and did the big presentation. Uh, and then year two, I was able to, to sort of help run that that chapter uh, at the school. And and that was awesome. I mean, that just sort of even solidified more uh, what it is I wanted to do. And and that was where you got sort of the first taste of, of, of going to New York City right. and interacting on a, on a different level. And so, uh, and also experiencing it, you know, what, what advertising was like, you know, for real. Mm-hmm. So you can read a lot in books and you can learn a lot in school, but um, actually working with a team and, and coming up with a campaign and really
0: mimicking what it is we do now, you know, day in and day out, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's exciting to get that the type of exposure to that atmosphere at that time in your life when you're in school, you know, to be able to go to New York and work with the team and pitch stuff um it it must have been very valuable
1: yeah i mean and it really does mimic i mean there were late nights all-nighters trying Mm -hmm. to come up with ideas and so you look back on it now and and you realize that was probably some of the best education you got at school uh even more so than than learning about stuff and taking tests
0: and then from there you jumped right in uh you you started some internships at some pretty prestigious uh you know ad agencies uh young and rubicam uh, mccann erickson publicists uh just give us a quick uh, overview of, of those places and maybe even some uh, some memorable projects you worked on during your internship.
1: Yeah, so I was I was actually in between um, you know Penn State Altoona and University Park, and I had I had been eager to to get some real experience, you know, just sort of on my own. And so uh, I'd gone back, you know, I was going back home to San Francisco for the summer where my parents lived at the time, and I had uh, you know contacted Young and Rubicam and sort of was able to to find a way in uh, and secure an internship, but they they didn't pay, and so you had mm. to do it for credit. So I was in the the position to then call the. The director of career placement at, you know, Penn State, the College of Communications. And I had to sort of explain, you know, introduce myself and say, I'd really like to do this internship. Uh, And so, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, that, that all worked out. And uh, and again, you know, getting experience at a real agency, a big agency, a famous agency, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a city like San Francisco, uh, was amazing. And so I came back super charged up, you know, for my my junior year at Penn State. Um, and then that you know led into the that following summer, wanting to get you know even more experience. And then you know I ended up at McCann Erickson in New York City. Um, that was a really cool experience because they had a, a division at the time called Taggediation, and it was really more about youth culture and bringing, um, bringing clients together, uh, under the sort of, you know, under sort of the premise of, you know, finding out the latest trends and things that, that youth culture are interested in and figuring out a way for brands to collaborate. And so it was a, very much a, a strategic engagement, if you will. And you were, um, you
0: were pretty much right there as the age group they were trying to target at this time. Yeah, so a
1: little bit older, and that and that was cool because you were sort of you know not necessarily that I was a, a thought leader, right. but but you were sort of trying to identify you know trends before they mm-hmm. became trends, mm-hmm. um, and so it was cool to to be part of that and 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 experience that, and and so looking back, you know that that's something that um, you know, even to this day I think even more so now than than, than back then. If you think in the early two thousands, what those trends were versus now uh it's such a cool idea for sort of an offshoot within McCann Erickson as a as a company so um yeah I mean it was it was an awesome an awesome experience and also opened me up to to less of the traditional side of advertising and looking at things more strategically which was cool
0: then um I guess at this point you were a bit you were at a bit of a crossroads where it was grad school or actually move on um Get a, a full time job at a at a large agency. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that that is correct. So I was, I was at uh, in my senior year
1: of of Penn State, and and my dad uh, who who's obviously got a lot of uh, degrees. He work he works for you know he had worked for NASA and has a PhD and and, and all these sorts of things. And so he was very adamant that I, I needed to go to grad school and needed to continue my education. Um, so I thought okay, and and I applied to the University of Texas Austin. I, at, at that time, I. I wanted to be uh, a strategic planner and, and so one of the things I thought was, well, why don't I go? And, and they had a really great program where you could, you know, put more tools in your bag uh and and gain more experience. Um so I I, I applied, got accepted, uh, you know, went down, got an apartment. Austin, Texas is, is still one of my favorite cities, you mm-hmm. know, of all the places I've gotten to to, to travel to. But um but yeah, so I, I thought, okay, I got that secured. Um, but I don't want to sit Idle that summer, so I, I got a third internship at, at Publicist New York, and took that with the the understanding that you know at the end of the summer I'd I'd head down to Texas, but uh, but that didn't turn out that way yeah. <laughs> that, that way. Uh, you know, at the end of the summer, um, I was approached by by the you know uh, the team there, um, and they offered me a, a full time position, and I thought, well, you have an opportunity to work on you know Madison Avenue you know, more or less, uh, right out of college, you know, maybe this is an experience I shouldn't yeah. pass up. And so uh, well, I to ended your, up- To
0: your point earlier, you know, the best experience you can get, we were talking about the student stuff, is, is actually doing it. It is. So to your kind of like, did you have that conversation with your dad? Like, I know you think I should do grad school, but I'm actually getting an education by taking this position. I had the conversation. Okay. <laughs> I mean, ten days,
1: ten days before uh, you know you're supposed to start another program, and there's and there's some money committed. Um, you know, it, it, it is a little risky. Sure. You know, uh, but I, I thought to myself, it was something I was really passionate about, something I was really excited to do. And I thought to myself, you know, you can always sort of go back and you know and, and reapply and defer. I think I did actually sort of defer that for a year. Uh, never ended up you know going back and doing it, but but it was an experience that I thought you know I don't know if it'll come back around again. Who knows mm-hmm. where things will lead to. So, um, so I sort of took it and, you know, worked as hard as I could to, to, to prove everybody that it was, you know, prove to everybody that it was the right thing to do.
0: And the position was
1: technically, it was
0: an assistant AE, correct?
1: Correct. So that was, you know, I was an assistant account executive when they hired me and I was on, you know, right away I came into the, to the VIX, uh, team. So it was getting to work on, on Procter and Gamble business. And, and that, you know, looking back was one of the, the greatest, things that, you know, uh, happened, if you will, uh, because of the strategic foundation that, you know, I got right out of the gate, um, you know, as a, as a company that's got, I don't know how many billion dollar brands they have today, right. but they, they clearly had a very strategic approach to, to brand building uh, and business building and, and to be able to sort of get that experience before everything else was was phenomenal. And so I got to work on the, the NyQuil, DayQuil
0: uh, and Vicks Vaporub
1: business uh, for for a couple of years, which is cool.
0: Great. And um, so Technically, as an assistant account executive, um, uh, what, what were some of the actual, like, what were you literally doing? What were your responsibilities laid out at this early stage in your career when you're doing, when you're an assistant A.E.?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it, it isn't glamorous. You know, there's a lot of, of footwork or, that, that you're sort of doing. Uh, you're helping to, you know, the way I always looked at it and the way that I approached it coming right out of college was that my job was to help make, you know, or my boss look good, to help set the table. For the person above me, so that they looked good, mm. so that in turn the agency looked good, and so um, you know whatever that was, there there were some some big initiatives that you had the opportunity to take part in. Um, you know there was a lot of sort of competitive monitoring, uh, you know providing analysis on what the the competitive marketplace was doing, helping to inform some of the you know the the, the strategy. Obviously, I wasn't writing the strategy at that time. Um, but, but you were able to sort of pitch in at wherever you could and, and, and make your mark. And that's sort of a, you know, thing I think that was, was important. So whether it was, you know, the creative department, whether it was, you know, the, the VP on the account, h- how do I help sort of set the table for them to succeed? Um, and,
0: and you sort of got to do that. Great. Was there any of the, um, cause those are very memorable and well-known, uh, you know, products. Uh, In accounts, and I can imagine it was a lot of fun, like working on like a NyQuil or 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 something like that. Was there any particular um, ads that you remember, like maybe not necessarily that you had like a creative input on, but you remember fondly that you were a part of that?
1: Yeah, um, there were a couple campaigns that were that were that were really cool. Um, But the thing that that really jumped out at me that that was that was sort of really fun from that time—not fun, but it was a great experience. Was right right around that time there was a huge outbreak of the H one N one sort of avian flu virus. Oh, okay. And so as a brand, um, you know, Vicks Vaporub was sort of, you know, and, and NyQuil and DayQuil. they were looking at how they could be thought leaders. Um, it was a huge hysteria. I mean, everybody was afraid there was all these documentaries mm-hmm. on TV about how fast it would spread yep. and how many people were going to die and all these sorts of things. So I was actually tasked with a, a, a project of sort of putting together a recommendation for the client on how, how, how they could, you know, um, sort of, Help to inform the public and and position themselves as a thought leader, and so there was a lot of research that was done, um, you know, to to sort of help inform that. So that was kind of cool because that was something that was topical, you uh, know, yeah. uh, and a big deal. It wasn't necessarily related to, um, to 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 actually promotion of of product directly, sure. but it was a it was a cool opportunity to sort of get into something a little bit bigger and, and potentially have an, uh, you know, an impact.
0: Well, yeah, figuring out a way to position a product in an unexpected fashion is, is always a challenge. So yeah. that, that's that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I also still can't, I mean, at that time, this is getting into the weeds here, but I still can't walk into a, a grocery, you know, a, a pharmacy and look at the the packaging today because phenylephrine and, and pseudephedrine, there was also a big thing. Oh, really? Back then about pseudephedrine, uh, people were like making drugs out of the cough and cold medicine. So now it's behind the counter. There was a reason for that back then, but the yep. stuff that's out, you know, out in front of the counter now is not nearly as effective as the other stuff. So right. you know too much sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, on to bigger challenges because um after your time with, with publicists, you uh you made the move to BBDO and you've worked with I mean, come on, Pepsi, G E uh and, and there's a ton of like great um stories that you shared with me when when we spoke before, but um at, at this point you, you, you're not an assistant AE, you're an account supervisor, obviously a lot more responsibility than the prior position. Um, just give me some bullet points on, on what were some of your responsibilities and how that changed and how that grew, how you grew from there.
1: Yeah, so I mean, so you work your way up, right? You start out as an, an assistant account executive, you get promoted to account executive, and then um, you know it got to the point where I was ready for for, for something new, something exciting, and so I, I was fortunate enough to be able to make the jump over to BBDO, such a, a storied agency um, on the on the Pepsi business, nonetheless, and so um, that was just phenomenal. Whereas you know Procter and Gamble was was very strategic and it was you know very formulaic, but. There was a method, and, and there was a lot of testing and, and research, and those sorts of things. Um, it was the complete opposite side of the coin uh, with Pepsi. So they were making short films. I mean, essentially short films. Right. And so to be able to work on on the brand building side of things, um, and I, where budgets were, you know, somewhat non-existent, uh, it was about the idea and about bringing an idea to life and and figuring out a way to do it. You know, the cost was often not as much of an issue um i mean that was just so cool and i, I look back on that now as some of the the, the greatest experiences i've yeah. had in in advertising when
0: you say short films you mean these were these were they're commercials but they were just longer than standard commercials no or? but the
1: but the production value the storytelling you know they were approached much more like you know creating short movies mm-hmm. uh, than creating you know commercials, if you will. Um, and so, you know, whether it was, you know, whether it was Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew, um, it was just, it was phenomenal. I mean, some of the pictures that were shot were just, you know, and, and the directors that were hired to produce some of these commercials are some of the you know most famous in the world. Speaking
0: of Mountain Dew, let's talk about the, uh, the Transformers tie-in and you got to actually meet Michael Bay. That's kind of cool.
1: That was cool. Yeah. So, so Mountain Dew, um, back when the first Transformers movie came out, um, Mountain Dew was a, a sponsor. And so, so they, they were doing a co-promotion with a with a with a product. Um, so we actually had the opportunity to, to go up to Paramount Studios in New York and and do a reading of the script, you know, while it was still in production, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so the, they made the decision that they wanted Michael Bay, you know, who directed the film to also, you know, direct the commercial. And so, um, you know, we, we sort of got an understanding of what the movie was going to be about and how the product was going to be integrated, things of that nature. And, uh, and yeah, so we got to go out to, to LA and shoot it. And, um, and so we got to meet, you know, Michael Bay. We, you know, actually got to visit his his private editing suite as he was doing some of the, you know, the rough cuts of the movie, uh, which was just, you know, really cool. You're sitting around his conference room, and you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre props are all <laughs> wow. over the place, and cool. um, and then got to go, you know, uh, you know, be on set with him for a day and just see how how he worked and uh, super intense. But but obviously, you know, he he is who he is for a reason, and oh, so to yeah, be able to yeah. see someone direct you know, in that regard and, and, uh, the attention to detail and sort of, you know, the, 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 the performance that he demands is, is was, was pretty special. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. He definitely has that signature, like intense style. Um, how many explosions did you get to see?
1: Yeah. The commercial didn't have many no, explosions. No, okay, there right. there were not many explosions, uh, <laughs> at, at least not in terms of, you know, pyrotechnics and things Got of that it. nature. But, but yeah, one cool story that, that came out of that was, was also he, um, you know, as we're sitting on set and we're there with a client, you know, he had come over to the video village halfway through the, the, the shoot and, uh, to see how things were going and of course we were talking about where we wanted to go to dinner that night right and so things like that and so you know we we asked him you know is there a good italian restaurant you'd recommend you know we're from new york and we're right. out in la so he he says you want italian oh well, hold on so he comes back and says made a reservation for you at i forget the name of the actual the restaurant and so so we ended up going uh, he didn't go with us but but when we arrived we had to say we're with you know michael bay a party of five yep. and so we uh we get ushered into this like sort of side room and you know here's bruce willis with somebody and it's, it's this room of all these famous people and then we realized like we're not supposed to be in this right room. yeah your head's on the a reservation scribble, was like, in his name yeah. but but yeah he wasn't with us so uh it, it's some of those things that you just look back and go how how cool was that and
0: how fortunate yeah, it's you know. a great experience yeah. you know that that's terrific i mean you even got to do some promo stuff for uh like video games, like Halo. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things about Mountain
1: Dew is such a cool brand. Uh, again, you know, really targeting a, a younger demographic and, and, and getting to work with some of the creatives at BBDO that, that created, you know, Do the do, and, mm-hmm. and some of the most iconic advertising that, that existed um, and, and sort of see how they approached it was awesome. And so they, they always did these summer promotions and, um, you know, one year it was Transformers, one year it was the launch of Halo 3, Um, and so, yeah, you got to go do these shoots and sort of, you know, engage with, with the different co-op partners and, uh, and you get exposed to things and, and learn things and see things that, you know, you wouldn't otherwise get to do. Uh, so that was cool. And the creative was really cool too. I mean, did
0: did that, I got to ask, cause I, that's, I I don't know why I think, uh, the synapses are finally firing in my P brain, but when we talked about that before, it didn't dawn on me that Mountain Dew is the perfect tie-in for a video game. Uh, Kind of promotion because it's isn't it kind of like the official uh, beverage of the gamer because it's the caffeine content kind of keeps you up it keeps you. Yeah, Pliny? I mean, it
1: used to be about like the X Games and all the, so the, the brand in and of itself was all about irreverence, right? right? Um, but but I think that summer they actually had come out with a new line extension, a product called Mountain Dew Game Fuel. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, really targeted towards that gamer market and that audience. And so they did a lot of activation, you know, in different areas and ways, but that was a, a co-op that they had done for a summer promotion that really tied it in. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was really cool.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I mean, just that's just the tip of the iceberg because you've worked on spots that have feet. You haven't met, you know, all of these people, but you've worked on spots and have been a guiding force on stuff, that, you know, that featured everyone from like Chuck Norris to Jack Hanna. Um, and I know, like, you know, when you work with these uh, with celebrities, sometimes you're really never sure um, just exactly, you know, what, what they're gonna what their uh, so, what their personality is gonna be like. Like, for instance, Jack Hanna like with the he was very the animal guy yeah he very was very he to was work with he and.
1: was yeah he was t- totally i mean some celebrities are, are are big names and they know it other celebrities are super humble and yeah. you know you feel like you're hanging out with an aunt or an uncle right. uh, and he you know he he's sort of the, you know he, he you know him from tv uh, but what you realize in working with some of his people he you know he still runs a zoo and so like Absolutely. his his manager was the person that worked in the office at the zoo i mean you're not dealing with a hollywood publicist and, right. and all these sorts of things and so as an account executive you know you get to Sometimes you're not doing the most glamorous of things, but sometimes you're helping to sort of, you know, you're the glue that helps keep things together and and get things to the finish line. And so you're interacting with some of the people, you know, on the back end. Um, You know, there's a there's a there's a big laundry list of different stories and experiences that that, uh, you know, that, that that you sort of gain over over a couple of years working on these brands. But it's, you know, it's something that it's something that you. You know, even to this day, there's experiences that, and things that I've gone through back at that point in time that I still pull from sure. from now. And uh, and and you know, sometimes when you're in that environment, you go like, "Can I get through this? Can I do this? Is mm-hmm. this going to be possible?" Right. Um, but it puts things into perspective, and and you know, it, it's it, when you see it, you know, on air, and you see somebody walking up to the store shelf and buying something yeah. or talking about it online. It, it's
0: uh, it's rewarding. Well, you're building a skill set working with and learning how to negotiate with. In this particular instance, these these celebrities or personalities like make sure that this 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 and this done, and that kind of helps prepare you for you know other like dealing with clients who might be you know want things a certain way.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 dealing with the celebrities that's kind of the the sexy stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but dealing with, you know, working with some of the creatives uh, and, and some of the, the, the folks in production and the strategists along the way, I mean, that's stuff that, you know, I look back on. And, and like I said, I still pull from, you know, to this day right. uh, and to, to, to see how they work and how they think. And, and you start to get a, an understanding of sort of what's good enough, you know, mm-hmm. what's good, what's good enough. Um and you know, you're you're also fortunate to work with 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 certain clients. I mean, Pepsi is historically known for creating leaders of of industry. Uh, you know, and so the you know, the marketing director at the time now is now is today is the president of Dick Sporting Goods. You know, uh one of the other clients is, you know, was the CMO of BuzzFeed. And so you see these folks that you interact with and that are sort of challenging you and pushing you and and you're working with um now running. You know, major companies right. and and being thought leaders, and so um, you
0: know, that 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 all is 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 you know I, I don't know. How, there's no other word to describe it but cool. <laughs> right? No, that, I mean it, it does. Sound, one one thing that's cool that you had mentioned just kind of off the cuff, and I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm just I'm not going to focus on it too much, but I'll, I'll just give my little two cents on it. Is that, um, and it's because I'm a fan of the meme. Not necessarily the guy. <laughs> but you had mentioned that you had done a spot or done something that featured Chuck Norris. And I had read something online about him, and this is something I found. This isn't, you know, from you. Um, but that uh, what has really propelled his, make, made him a star these days is this, these memes. And I think you know what I'm talking about. These are yep. really funny. Do you have a favorite one? My,
1: favorite,
0: my favorite one is... Death had a Chuck Norris, a near Chuck Norris experience. I think that's my absolute favorite. I don't I think, I don't think mine's are, mine might be appropriate to say. Okay, okay fair <laughs> enough. But um, what, I, what I thought was interesting is that you had mentioned that there was a project that he was on that that you kind of worked on. And I, I remember this story where he had seen all of these online, and he was kind of overwhelmed by it. And he was kind of, like, upset. And his wife had to explain to him, like, these are actually... Uh, even though they're kind of done, fun and you know, in, in in good fun, they're endearing. They're they're meant to like. They're they're kind of like a love letter to you from from fans, and it kind of the internet just kind of took it and ran with it. And it kind of took him a little bit of time to to pick up on that and understand that. So I can understand how you know a personality like that and getting him to come around sometimes. Uh, I'm guessing might m- might be difficult, but. um I, I'm just so intrigued by that relationship, and it's so cool that you got to, to, to work on projects that featured all, all, all these cool people. Now, let's talk about the Olympics. Uh, you did some really nice, uh, with GE in 2008, um... Elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I mean, it. after
1: being on on the Pepsi business for a couple a couple of years, I was uh, sort of I jumped over to the the GE account, and that was right around the the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing. And so, um, you know, whereas Procter and Gamble was was very strategic, and it was a lot of packaged goods. Um, you know, Pepsi was was package goods, but it was you know all about branding and storytelling, um, GE was, was sort of the the third piece to, to the puzzle for me, um, because it was a little bit more B2B focused, but it was really, um, I think the brand that, that, that took strategy and storytelling together and sort of just you know, blasted it on a whole different level. And so the whole, you know, being able to, you know, work on um, creative for that, you know, around the imagination at work and eco-imagination and healthy imagination campaigns and seeing how a company like GE, which operates in, you know, many different, Industries, which are you know very different from one another, um, how they sort of you know bring the brand to the forefront and, and present things with consistency, um, was was just a, a really great supplement to some of the other experiences that I that I had. And and the two thousand and eight Olympic Games were you know whereas on Pepsi you might be working on Super Bowl commercials, uh, this was a, a beast in and of itself. It was much more international and global. Um, and, and some of the things that were activated were, were, were things that weren't just, you know, for North America, but that were, that were activating globally.
0: Wow. So you, oh, that's great. Um, and then around this time, I guess, or maybe a little later, um, things started to change in your, in your personal life. And you did make the decision to kind of head to the Lehigh Valley. Um, what, what was it? strictly because you decided you wanted to kind of, you know, raise a family in a, in a different kind of environment? Or was was that pretty much the, the, the key to you kind of, Moving to the Lehigh Valley, or was there more to it? Yeah,
1: I mean, so you know, working in New York is is definitely a, a, a young man's game. Um, you know, working eighty hours a week, getting yeah. to travel for three weeks at a time on commercial shoots, things of that nature, uh, great experiences. But yeah, I had my daughter in in, in around two thousand and eight, um, and you know, didn't want to see her growing up, you know, horizontal in a crib, and right. so uh, it was, it was about looking for, for more than, than just work and, and sort of a a work-life balance. And, um, so that, that was sort of the, the catalyst to say, I think, you know, I've, I've learned a lot and I've experienced a lot here, uh, you know, in, in New York. And, um, and then I started to look for, for, you know, a place where I could go and sort of, you know, enjoy what I do, Mm uh, make an impact, still continue to learn, um, but also have more of a, a work-life balance.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think that, I mean, that's, I mean, with the one day uh, when we spoke before, you had mentioned like one one of the work days and on one of the projects is like you barely even went home one night. Yeah, like, it's like, I mean, and you and that must be tough trying to raise a, a kid with with that type of like.
1: It is. I I think to me it's, you got to be all in, right? So right. when you're when you're working in New York you've got to be all in or you shouldn't be in and yep. you shouldn't be in at all. Um, and so it was funny. I had, I had, you know, given my resignation, I had my plans to move were, were in full motion. And, um, it was like one to two days left before, before my final day there. And there was a huge creative presentation, you know, for GE. And so we sort of took straws to say, who's going to wait until the the, the boards are, are done. Um, you know, at, at BBO, they have a huge studio. And so mm-hmm. all of the, the creative gets printed in the studio and then gets mounted. And then, you know, at that time, we, were, we weren't we were doing a lot of digital presentations. So you were waiting for the studio to print it out and to, to mount and all those sorts of things. So I'll, I'll stay. You know, I figured how how bad could it be? <laughs> I didn't want to come in super early the following morning. Well, right. I, I left for work, you know, I think it was like a Thursday. I left for work at 9 a.m. And I think I got home at 5.30 the following morning. But wow. that, you know, that, that was indicative of what you were expected to do. Sure, yeah. uh, because if you didn't want to do it, there was a hundred other people that would be happy to have that opportunity. Um, And so sometimes I think you need to know when, you know, when, when you're ready to move on, you know, you don't want to sort of, you know, let it sort of just snowball into mm-hmm. something that, that, it, that it shouldn't. And so, um, and it was actually really opportunistic because, you know, as I left to move to a, a smaller market, you know, some people look at you and they say, you're you sure you want to do this, you know, uh, but other, you know, uh, how many months was it? It was maybe a couple, two or three months afterwards, the, the economy completely collapsed and, you know, the 2008 mm-hmm. and, um, and it wasn't, you know, it was soon thereafter that, you know, lots of people at some of the bigger agencies in New York ended up getting laid off just because of the impact on a macro level. Whereas, yeah. you know, here in Lehigh Valley, we were really fortunate that we were insulated from a lot of that. And so you never know how things are going to pan out, but it, in you know in hindsight, it actually was um, was a good move, yeah, in a, in good timing.
0: And you would, uh, at, at that point it was it was called Spark, um, and then it eventually evolved to become Lehigh Valley. Uh, mining and navigation, which we know today, but um, your start was there, um, and what were some initial, like, um, I don't know if if culture shock is the right word, maybe um, professional shock, or just be, like, could you give some specifics of some of the differences you experienced coming from such a metropolitan busy area to, uh, I I mean, I'm not going to go so far as say we're rural, I don't think we're that, but it's definitely not as busy as, as say, like a, a New York um, what were some of the like specific things that you noticed that that were different right away?
1: You know, it it wasn't that much of a jump. I mean, I, I'd say when I'd come to this area, you know, Sands Casino was just being built, mm-hmm. you know, Arts Quest and the Steel Stacks um, area was sort of, you know, all coming to fruition. Um, and there was just an energy, you know, around the region. And I, I wasn't here when, you know, some of the, the, the negative times, you know, existed. And so, you know, coming in 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 2008 um, I've always felt that, that this region, like if you, if you can't find something to do here, then it's you, not the region. Um, but what's great is that you can still take a trip up to New York, or yeah. you can take a trip down to Philly, right? You know, you you can go up to the Poconos.
0: So you're, or you can uh, grab clients from those places
1: too. No, that, that <laughs> you know, I that, mean, that, <laughs> that's always nice. Yeah, but yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's a great it's a great place to live. Um, you know, and, and again, there's so many attractions. It's a it's interesting because unlike other regions that have an identity, you know, Gettysburg has has not has an identity, you know. Um, Lancaster is known for the Amish, right? This region is sort of uh, a mix of things. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of key attractions and things that, you know, bring people in. um, But it doesn't have that necessarily that inherent identity, you know, that everybody in the world knows. Mm -hmm. Um, But man, that collection of, of, of things to do and see and experience here really make it. An awesome, awesome yeah, place.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Like, I and that, thats kind of the genesis of why you know we wanted to do this podcast to showcase that. You know, there's a lot going on here. Um, you know, in the in the advertising world, a lot of great agencies, a lot of talented individuals. But just as a region in and of itself, I mean, and and I think proof of this was um, a great project while while you were with uh, this particular team. Um, that you helped kind of mastermind and spearhead, which is which proves that what you're saying is true. That there's a lot to do here, and if if you if there isn't, well then come up with it yourself. And you guys uh, came up with Soccer Fest, which was a huge success. Um, what was what was that? And uh, talk to me about uh, how that project came about. And I mean, it became like kind of an international kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean that was that was such a cool experience and and something so cool to be part of. Um, yeah, and it started with I. I had grown up playing soccer. I played at Penn State Altoona on, on the on the men's varsity team, and I, I had I'd had spent time growing up in the Netherlands. So soccer is sort of the first sport that I've, I I truly loved. Um, and so I'd been to a couple World Cups, and in 2006 I was in I was in Germany, um, and I happened to be part of a, a you know leadership Lehigh Valley class, and we were touring the ArtsQuest campus, and and a guy at the time by the name of Kurt Mosel, who I'm you know great friends with today, um, you know was sort of giving the tour. And I remember pulling him on the balcony one day and saying, hey, you know, I was at this World Cup viewing party in Germany, and he said, I was too. And I said, man, I'd love to, like, they had these viewing parties, and and around the world, soccer celebrated in such a different way. And so, you know, along this river, there were 100,000 people, and there was a giant screen in the middle of this river, and people just congregated. You didn't have to be in the stadium to enjoy the sport. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, we were sort of just joking about it and said, man, it'd be cool to, to have some kind of a viewing party here. And so, um, you know, a couple other, he was, right away, he, he loved the idea. And so together, we sort of reached out to a couple other key partners, um, Greg Ramos from Lea Valley United and and Kuzi from Discover Leah Valley. Um, and we sort of brought this core team together. And we were kind of naive and said, well, what would it take to do something like this? And um, it was an idea. And it was a group of folks collaborating together and organizations that were, you know, sort of giving their time For something that, you know, you didn't know how it would turn out or pay off. Um, But there was no, you know, there there was no sort of, nobody had an ego, nobody had an interest other than wanting to make this thing come to life. And then fast forward to the first festival, uh, you know, I still remember, I think we got 52,000 people over the the course of that World Cup. And I remember being there the first night, there was like 12,000 people that Mm -hmm. were walking into the ArtsQuest campus. And we just looked at each other like... Is this seriously happening? Yep. And people that hate soccer, people that didn't like soccer, were coming out and really rooting for the US. And so it's just a it, it's just a really cool thing to, you know, and, and again, it, it takes an organization like ArtsQuest, mm-hmm. you know, and a vision for that campus to be able to say, if you have a great idea, you know, and it's something that the community might enjoy we're all in mm-hmm. you know uh and so uh it, it was it was phenomenal so year one that happened and then we followed up the year after with the women's world cup uh we did it a third year with uh, the cope america and then actually this summer uh shameless plug here this summer we're we're doing it again for the, for the world cup unfortunately the u.s didn't make the world cup so it'll be a little bit more of a of an international flavor but um but it's just a, it's a great way to sort of bring communities together yeah. bring people from different you know backgrounds and ways of life and, and to enjoy something
0: like that I, and i think that's that's the key too is is the enjoyment of it because you know to touching on what you said I don't I, I don't hate soccer but I don't know anything about it yet I was there and I had a great time just walking around, enjoying people, enjoying, you know, the area. And it was a very well, uh, well-managed and well-branded event. It was, it was great.
1: Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, and again, hats off to all of the, you know, I mean, again, the, the partners that collaborated to make that a reality and, and, the, and the sponsors that, you know, threw money in and, um, it, it took a, it took a village to bring that to life. Um, but again, that just one of the, you know, one of the reasons that living here is so cool is, is stuff like that can happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, and there's, and there's people here that, that, that want to make happen what
0: uh so i think let's move on to uh your your jump to clunk milan but before we do uh maybe you could just give us a a little bit of um an education on on some of these roles that you've had and specifically the one you have now um what is a director of brand strategy and what are their key responsibilities can you break it down into something like bullet points or is it too organic to even kind of rein in
1: no i think i mean so i think it's sort of a progression right so the way I look at it is that just in advertising in general, I see ourselves collectively. I see us all as problem solvers and, and storytellers, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, in a, in a world where there's so many tools at your disposal, uh, clients have tools at their disposal, agencies have tools, individuals have tools to be able to, you know, produce content and put it out there to the world and brand themselves. Um, and that's a blessing and a curse. And so, um, it's not just about you know creating content or, or creating, sorry, it's about helping to figure out what the right content is that needs to be created. And so um, I look at myself as sort of a, you know, a, a, in the director of brand strategy role as as really that conduit between the, the creative department and sort of the account management department. And, and you know, it, it's all about helping to, you know, identify the problem, make sure it's the right problem, find an insight, you know, that can, can sort of be exploited to help tell a story. And, and again, it's, it's really about coming at things from the customer's perspective. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, too many times, you know, folks want to just, you know, shout out what it is they have to tell the world. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that, you know, a consumer is, is ready to, you know, to, to take that in, you know, is it the right message? Is it being delivered at the right time in the right place in the right
0: context yeah, and the so stars need to align they, they right need to right.
1: align right and so it's 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 the thinking side of things so um you know every agency or every you know good agency should should have a creative brief but but the creative brief in and of itself is just a tool and mm-hmm. so you know part of the you know the, the 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 task that 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 i embark on is 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 helping to make sure that it's able to inspire the creative department, right? Um, and and lead to to work that's effective, but that also is powerful. And you can come up with lots of great ideas, but if they're not effective, you know, it's sort of for not. Um, and so, you know, the way I, I think I've, I've described it to you before, but it, it's sort of like helping to define the sandbox. Yeah, the I was gonna ask department. about
0: that. I love that term. That's, that's yeah. really a, a smart way to look at it. So, you know, if the strategy isn't tight,
1: or, or inspiring at the beginning. A lot of times, you know, you see creatives um, spending more time trying to figure out what the problem is and how yeah. to solve it rather than coming up with awesome ideas right. that deliver on it. And so, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, sort of the, the, the tighter you can make the sandbox, the more the creatives can sort of play in that sandbox sure. and generate ideas and not have to figure out well, what the boundaries if, are.
0: If, using the sand analogy even further, which I think is, is really smart, like I said before, but it's kind of like the difference of, uh, You know, creative brief saying, here's the Sahara, go have fun, as opposed to, you know, here's a sandbox where, and and here are the pieces that we need that are in here, have fun in here. And sometimes having those constraints will um, force a creative person to actually come up with a a lot of great ideas instead of having their mind wander in areas where it's not exactly where the client wants to to go.
1: Yeah, and, and sometimes that's, that's also interacting with clients to sort of really challenge them to make sure, you know, sometimes in organizations there's a, a very myopic view in terms of, you know, because there's, there's, they have to hit certain sales numbers or sure. something that yep. they need to promote. And there's, you know, political parts of it that come into play. And there's, you know, business things that as an agency you may or may not sort of be aware of. And so, um, you know, part of that problem solving starts with working with, you know, the clients to sort of get a deeper understanding of what it is they're trying to do and achieve and help to to sort of create that sandbox, if you will. So it's it's both on that strategic side, and then that transfers over to the creative department as well to make sure that they're not wasting their energy or their resources, mm-hmm. you know, in the wrong thing. And, you know, the more creatives can be creative, you know, the, the better the end product is.
0: And then you're also involved with, uh, with media planning as well.
1: Um, it, it's sort of, not, not directly, but I think the strategy sort of starts, you know, it's above you know all of that i mean we get so we get so caught up in buzzwords and terminology and at the end of the day whether it's b2b or b2c you're still communicating to people And so, you know, simple questions and simplifying things help to set the strategy, not just for what the creative, you know, what it is you have to say, but sometimes that can also help then provide the fuel for the media department and the media planners to get inspired as well as it relates to how to deliver that message in the right place at the right time. And so, um, it, it really is working with, you know, lots of different functions within the agency, Mm -hmm. not just the creative department, um, to, to, to inspire, to help inspire, you know, the right strategies, uh, the right insights um and that leads to to work that that hopefully is impactful and and you know makes a difference for the clients and, and
0: there's a wonderful uh video that you actually shared with me or, or you 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 told me the story of at least which i think is a really uh kind of a beautiful way to kind of sum up what you're saying because it just makes so much sense but um just if you could real quick just encapsulate the the violin uh s- story and and i just think that applies absolutely 100 percent to to what you were just saying
1: yeah so um back in i think it was around 2011 there was a, a washington post story that was around uh, about this violinist classically trained violinist uh, joshua bell and um and he had gone into a subway station and was playing um you know the violin as people were sort of you know hustling by on their way to work in the morning and um, and nobody stopped, right? And they were just sort of people were so busy trying to get to their to their job or wherever it is that they had to go. Um, maybe one or two people threw a dollar into his mm-hmm. into his case. Um, but the the interesting part of that story was Joshua Bell, like I said, was a classically trained uh, you know violinist who you know one or two nights before had sold out uh, you know a symphony hall <laughs> with one hundred fifty dollar uh, you know per ticket right. <laughs> uh, seats. Um, he was playing on like a five million dollar violin, yep. right? And so that just goes back to reinforce that if you're not telling the story at the right place, in the right time, the right people, to the right people, yeah. in the right context, yep. it's going to get missed. Yeah. And so I think that's important that you know we take a step back and we think and not just try to execute yeah. because we can all execute, but that. That doesn't necessarily mean what it is that you're 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 putting out there is going to be effective. and it's going to be impactful. And so a lot of resources, a lot of time, you know, a lot of effort gets wasted uh, by not sort of, you know measuring twice and cutting I, once. I love that
0: story because <laughs> it's just you know th- this guy is obviously he's a, he's a true artist, and you know he's he's doing his thing, but you know, maybe the people walking by are into like you know hip hop or something. or They're into something else, and it's not like nobody's wrong in that scenario. Like no one's wrong for not appreciating the music, but it just it's such a great illustration of of, of everything you just said. I just think that's such an awesome story. Whoever came up with that or did that experiment uh, really uh, deserves some recognition. I yeah, think I mean really it.
1: Cool. it re- it's a it's a phenomenal sort of case study, but but yeah, it's it's uh, it, it reinforces this point you know nicely. But again, it's it's. Uh, you know, it's it's a reality and a truth that we live with.
0: So let's talk about your new position. Congratulations! You're at Clunk and Milan now. Thank you. What are some of the new challenges that you're facing uh, at at Clunk?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'm super excited to to be part of the team there. It's uh, you know, it really is a phenomenal team of of really really talented people. Um, you know, and I and I think one of the unique things about about Clunk and Milan is is simply that. A lot of agencies talk about being full service and having a lot to offer, um, but but this agency you know truly is, and it's truly an integrated team. And so, to be able to collaborate um, with experts in many different disciplines, so whether it's design, whether it's you know web development, um, digital marketing, public relations, media buying and planning, it's all in house. Mm-hmm. And so, not every client you know utilizes all of those services, but. To be able to bring a team together and to bring the thinking together to help inform strategies and to help inform uh, creative campaigns is just it, – it's really exciting. And, and in an industry where you – know, I think I don't know how many years back it was, but a lot of agencies just sort of went more towards that you know specialty area where mm-hmm. there was a web-only shop. Right, or a, you know, an SEO firm, um, or a design shop, uh, which is all really great. But I, but I think you know, clients in today's day and age are are looking more for partners than you know, agencies of, of, of record or, or sort of you know, people to just help. They, they don't want to manage five, six, seven different relationships. So if you can um, be able to provide an integrated offering to you know, to clients and serve as an extension of their. Um, you know their team and bring the expertise, not necessarily always the execution, but right. the expertise and the thinking in those different disciplines.
0: Yeah, I'm, I will uh, just speak. I, I've never worked at Clunk, but um, they're they're kind of a. I, if I'll, I'll just use the word, kind of a legendary agency in the area. I mean, they've they've just been around for for how many years? If About thirty years. Thirty now. years. Yep. And I remember uh, one of the founders, Jim Clunk. Uh, he actually was one of if not the first art directors to ever look at my book when when I was coming through he was he was uh, I think this was at Kutztown he had volunteered his time and um I remember he he really encouraged me and was like yeah you should you know you have a you have a great you know book in advertising and I, I've worked in like one or two agencies in the area now I'm, I'm proud to, to work at Adams and it's great but uh he, hearing those uh those words uh from Jim very encouraging I'll, I'll always remember that and. Uh, you know, his legacy is, is this this agency which has been around for, for so long. That's great.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I think, you know, he he deserves a lot of credit for is 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 sort of being, you know, being able to see the importance of web mm-hmm. and to build out a, a full service web team, you know, with six people and 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 to be able to, you know, sort of add in digital marketing specialists and social media experts. Um, where a lot of agencies talk about it, but but don't necessarily deliver it. Right. Um, you know that that was a bold move. Uh, you know, especially back when when he sort of invested in doing that, and and I think it you know it 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 pays off. Uh, but but yeah, that was that was that was an important thing because I think that really helps differentiate. Um, you know what the offering is, and I think today you're starting to see. I mean, even reading some of the the trades, you're seeing larger networks and larger clients like Procter and Gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, saying maybe things should be brought back in house maybe media shops should be brought back in house and because the idea is the most important thing now it's not you know it, it, and it, and you need to be able to come up with that idea and put it out there and yeah you know Other folks may have to help pollinate it, Um, but it's no longer about okay. This is the you know we're only going to focus on media. You know the the landscape has changed too much Mm -hmm. to to make that happen. So you know creative is important, Uh, being able to execute is important, but you know being able to deliver the the results in an efficient way for clients you know is 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 something that you know. And what do you guys?
0: What do you? How many? uh, What's your creative department? How many you got in there?
1: Um, geez, I don't even know how like. You know, from a design standpoint, um, it's probably six, seven, eight. Oh wow, different. that's impressive! Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mean, there's a there, there, there's a you know a, a wide range of, of of different folks and and again, it's it's great because they're such a collaborative team. Yeah, and there really are no egos, which is which is great um, because you can you know. You can bring ideas, you know, ideas can come from anywhere and, um, you get fresh perspectives, you get smart thinking, you get people that are, that are really excited about, you know, what it is they're doing and wanting Mm -hmm. to make a difference, not only for the agency, but for the, for the clients. And it's, it's almost intoxicating, you know, to, to work with folks like that. Well,
0: uh, can I ask, I'm going to ask one more question and then uh, if, you know, you you can tease us if you want, but whatever, but any exciting projects in the works that you, you can, you can maybe give us a, a little tidbit on or.
1: Well, there's two ways to answer that, right? So, you know, being involved on the strategic <laughs> side of things, a lot of what it is I'm working on, I can't share with you because of the the fact that it hasn't come to fruition. But one of the things where, that, uh, Nick, that's a one great of, strategy. One neg- of the, <laughs> there you go. One of the things we are really excited about, um, and it's public knowledge, it's out there, is uh, is our partnership with uh, with Pocono Raceway, and so the oh, wow. the new campaign uh, recently launched in advance of of the upcoming season. Um, and they're just such an, an amazing group of people up there. Um, it's still one of the only, one, of, one of the last two family-owned tracks in the entire circuit, um, and and it's, we're just so excited with the uh, with the collaboration, the partnership with them, as well as you know getting the word out about. Um, about the raceway and 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 what you can experience there, you know, it's one thing to have clients, it's another thing to have partners. Yeah. And yeah. um and what's really cool is I think we're super excited to let you know to get the word out about um about what a weekend experience up at, at Pocono Raceway is all about and 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 hopefully you know the, you get people there one time and I yeah. I'll I'm guar- I'm guarantee you they'll come back. So well,
0: I mean, I, I saw the creative because I know you guys did some digital billboards as well, and it, yep. it looks great. So it, you guys obviously had a lot of fun with the
1: project. Yeah, I mean, we did, and the and the premise really was that you know, there's so much, it's not just racing. And so, well, uh, you know, last year we, we got to go up and experience it. My daughter who, who was not into NASCAR at all right. went and, and had an amazing time to the point where, you know, she, she can't wait to go back to this go summer back. and it's more than racing. I mean, there's camping. There's yeah. It really is family friendly. There's a lot of fun things to do there. So, um, you know, if you get the chance to check it out, shameless plug, but, but you know, you won't, you, you won't uh, regret it.
0: Okay, cool. All right, Nick. Well, Hey, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for being on the show. For more information on Nick Swartz and the rest of his teammates, visit clunkmilan.com. that's two L's, so K-L-U-N-K-M-I-L-L-A-N.com. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. You've been listening to Ad Yak, the official podcast of the AAF Lehigh Valley. Ad Yak is sponsored and produced by Fire Rock Productions and was recorded at Adams Outdoor Advertising in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Nathan Linder. Thanks for yakking with us.